Well, welcome to chapel. It is good to have everyone here. Uh, if you're a guest with us in person or online, if you don't know, we have tons of people that are watching us, joining us on YouTube or Facebook or our wearechapel.org website every single week. So I want to say a special uh, thank you for them joining us. Uh, it's, it's been really interesting to see how God has used that to reach new people. So, But if you can do us a favor, if you're new to chapel or new to chapel in person, right after service, we have what we call Connection Point. It's right in the main lobby. We have a free gift just to say thank you uh, for being with us this morning. If you're online, let us know where you're from and where you're at. Or you can go on our church center, uh, which is on our wearechapel.org website. There's a church center button or there's an app and there's an I'm new here form. If you could fill that out, that'd help us a lot. And as we kind of close out worship, we are going to receive our morning tithes and offerings. So if you give it in, in cash or check, you can do those at the doors as you leave. But if you give online or through text or through the church center app, you can do that. But Psalms 34, 8 through 10 is really, really clear. It basically says those who trust in the Lord, they will not have any lack because God is their provider. So we give not to receive. We give because we trust God. And we give because we know that God is our provider. We want him to know that we trust him with everything, not just our lives, but with what our lives are represented by, which is our jobs and our families and our giving. And so right now, I just want to pray a blessing over your offering. So whether you give by check, cash, online, just hold that in your, in your hand. I do it by my phone. But Father, we thank you that you are our provider. That we don't have to seek after uh, government stimulus packages. We don't have to seek uh, careers and jobs. We know that you open up every single door we walk through. And right now, we thank you for our jobs. We thank you for our careers. We thank you for our businesses. And right now, Father, we are pushing those aside saying, we know those things provide, but you are our provider. And we trust in you. And Father, we thank you. We just give back your portion to say that we trust you and we honor you with everything. In Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you turn to Ezekiel chapter 37. And today is a very special moment in time that has been a, a, a long journey spiritually through many different avenues and prophetic words and, and connections relationally and spiritually. There's also been a whole lot of people that have, that have brought us to this point in this mile marker in time. There's people that have kind of paved the way, people that have prayed the way through. And so real quick, I want to honor a few of those people First and foremost is Pastor Doc and Miss June Shell. If y'all would stand up just to your feet for a second. If you don't know, Pastor Doc and Miss June are the founders of Christ Chapel. And so I want to say thank you to both of you. That we honor you, we love you, and that for many, many, many reasons, this day would not exist without you two. Through your prayers, through your sacrifice, through the vision God gave you to come to Florence, Alabama, to plant a church so God could move and reach this area. And through the relationships you've built with other pastors in this town, with Pastor Rusty and Pastor Lisa, just those relational connections that have now brought us all together in this one place, this one time, this is because of you. And we thank you, we honor you, and we love you. Give them another hand of applause real quick. We also have Pastor Rusty and Pastor Lisa from The Rock Huntsville with us. Give them a big round of applause. We'll hear from him in a second. We've got a large group with them from, from Huntsville, some of their elders and leaders. If y'all want to stand up so we can honor you as well, because y'all look so good and dressed up so nice. Give them a round of applause real quick. And then many, many, many other people from leadership from our side and their side and our, our elders here, our lay pastors. It's been a, 
It's been a journey. But today, we believe, is, is kind of the, the beginning of a new journey from this point forward. And I believe it's a day, I'm praying that it's a day that something new is birthed, not just out of chapel, but out of the heavenlies for the Schultz. Like, I believe it's a, it's a new, it's a refreshing for the church, not just for us, but at large to see what happens when we kind of push agendas and push our dreams out of the way and see that God actually has a dream for this area. Like, it's not about my dream or my vision or Pastor Rusty's dream or his vision or any other church's vision. God actually has a dream, and he's waiting for us to partner with him. I also pray that it's a day that it puts the enemy and the gates of hell on notice. Like, I pray that the enemy realizes that there's actually unity, and every time there's unity in the Bible, that the enemy begins to flee and God begins to reign. We also pray that today is a day of refreshing and hope and building upon the foundations that has been laid here that God can move in the shoals. That I believe God has a dream for the shoals and he's been waiting for man to get out of the way, for obstacles to get out of the way because there's strongholds in this area that he wants to see broken and that we can watch him break those to bring the blessings and the healing and the power he wants to bring to this area. That is our prayer. If you would stand to your feet as we read Ezekiel 37 starting in verse 15 this morning. So this scripture, as we've been talking about this journey for a while now, for at least six, more than six months, maybe nine months, every year I get away two prayer retreats a year. I go away by myself to pray and think through the next year and ask God what he wants to see happen in chapel. And then part of our Radiant Network, we have a lead pastors only prayer retreat. We go to Mich- up north, north Michigan, whatever you call it, up in the, the, the lakes area of Michigan, and just lead pastors are poured into, and we pray together. And as I was there, I was praying through this, and God brought me to this scripture in Ezekiel 37, and it says this. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, take a stick and ride on it for Judah and the people of Israel associated with him. Then take another stick and ride on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all the house of Israel associated with him. And join them one to another into one stick, that they may become one in your hand. And when your people say to you, will you not tell us what is meant by these? Say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm about to take the stick of Joseph that is in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel associated with him. And I will join with it the stick of Judah and make them one stick that they may be one in my hand. When the sticks on which you ride are in your hand before their eyes, then say to them, thus says the Lord God, here's what he's going to do when they become one. Behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among them where they have gone, and I will gather them from all around and bring them to their own land, and will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king over them all, and they shall no longer be two nations and no longer divided into two kingdoms. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols and detestable things or with any of their transgressions, but I will save them from the backslidings. I don't know about you, but there's a whole lot of backsliding in church world. I remember an old school, full gospel pastor back in my hometown of White House, Tennessee. He planted this church and he told everybody, I'm not planting this to reach church people. I'm trying to reach the heathen, the backslidden, the X, Y, Z. And the pastor from First Baptist called him and said, hey, I heard you're planting a church. Yes, sir. He said, I heard you're just trying to reach the heathen and the backslidden, X, Y, Z. Yes, sir. I don't want church people. I just want the backslidden. He said, come to First Baptist. I have a whole pew full of them. But I will save them from all their backsliding, which they have sinned, and will cleanse them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall have one shepherd. 
They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. And I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst forever more. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. Father, we thank you for your word that is alive. Even when it was written back to Ezekiel and he delivered it to your people, it's still alive today. And we pray that the promises that are in this scripture are for us. And they are yes and amen in Jesus. So Father, have your way. Open up our minds and our hearts to your spirit and let your kingdom come here in the shoals as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. He says, then you'll know that I'm your God and you are my people. Like, like I, I, that, that goes deep with me because growing up, there's different groups of people, but you always have your people. And your people, you know, they always have your back. You live together. You do life together. You have each other's best interest in mind. And what's interesting about this story is there's two tribes that are coming together, Joseph and Judah. And he's bringing these two together, but he gives this spiritual symbolism of taking one stick from each tribe, which actually is a tribal stick, that each tribe had a stick that represented their tribe. He says, I want you to take their two sticks, I want you to write their name on them and bring them together. And one of the principles of miracles in the Bible is God always brings two things together to produce something better. God always brings two things together that may be different, that may have different giftings, may have different personalities, may have different ideas, but he brings them together not to make one better, but to make something new out of those two. With Adam and Eve, he brought them together. They were different. Adam was a man. Eve was a female. They're gifted differently, built differently. He brought them together to birth the miracle of creation. Abraham and Sarah, he brought them together to birth a covenant and a new nation. David and Jonathan, he brought them together to birth a new dynasty for Israel. You see, on the day of Pentecost, he brought the Word and the Spirit together to birth the New Testament church. He brings the super and the natural together. Anytime God does something new, he brings two things together to produce something new. Every single time. And we are watching as God is bringing two things together to produce something new and something better. In this scripture, he has Joseph and he has Judah. I would say chapel is, is Joseph because my middle name is Joseph, and that's the easiest kind of segue. <laughs> but for chapel, man, I've watched over the last seven years your faithfulness. And you persevere through difficult seasons through the peaks and through the valleys. I've watched you persevere in serving and loving and following the direction God has placed for our church. And for that, I say thank you for your faithfulness. Some of you have been faithful for 35 years. Some of you for 40 years. And God has watched your faithfulness and now he's gonna birth through that faithfulness something new. You've helped break down regional strongholds of racism, of watching God build a diverse church in the shoals where, where people never knew a diverse church has existed before. You've broken down strongholds of generational poverty through the shoals, Dream Center, and Lowe's and Fishes. 
You brought down, broken down strongholds in West Florence where we flooded West Florence with love and with hope and with joy and with peace, moving outside the walls of our church into the community where the strongholds are to watch God break them yeah. down. You've been faithful. Watch you break down strongholds of self-centered religion. Watch you break down strongholds in Haiti through Chapel Haiti. Going on trips, spending your vacation to go and climb or walk up a mountain that no man should ever have to walk up in their lives. <laughs> Dealing with voodoo and witchcraft. Dealing with poverty and levels you've never seen before. Getting outside the walls of the church to be who God has called you to be. For that, thank you. And God is bringing us together with Judah. Which Judah means the praisers, which for me, the gifting upon the rock is to carry the presence of God with you wherever you go. You're a presence-driven church in Judah. Every time there's a battle, Judah would go first because the praisers would lead into victory, not follow into victory. And you've been a place, Rock Shoals, a place where the spiritually wounded and broken and church hurt could come and find the refuge and the healing they've been looking for. You've been a place in which you could find refreshing. You could get away from church drama and church hurt and church pain and find a season of refreshing. Thank you. For in this area, that's needed almost more than anything else. We don't need evangelism. We need church hurt one-on-one. You've displayed the heart of the Father through serving foster families through serving at the Dream Center, serving getting outside of your own walls and saying, this is the heart of the Father. To pour our love and our life and our resources and our hope into people that are overlooked, people that are broken, people that need it the most. And you've discipled and matured believers that have grown to be leaders that now are ready to reproduce themselves in other people. And so we're not talking about reproducing what we've experienced. We're talking about God bringing the two together to produce something better. The, the, the story of this is the two sticks, the two tribes, that God wasn't really concerned with the tribes. I'm sure each tribe had their own way of doing things. I'm sure each tribe had their own traditions and, and, and customs and cultures. But God doesn't even really address the tribes. He says, I'm bringing you together to form one kingdom. And it's my kingdom with my shepherd, my king David, which is a reference to Jesus being the shepherd or the king of his kingdom. And so, see, when God starts to do something, he's not doing something to build up a tribe. He's doing something to build up the kingdom. Yeah. And when the kingdom increases, the tribes always decrease. We live in a day and age, we try to increase the tribe and hope that God brings the kingdom into our tribe. And God says, I have a kingdom, and if you'll just let go of your tribe, I'll bring you into my kingdom. And like that is the goal. I talk to pastors all over the place. I say, quit trying to get God to move in your church. Find out where God is moving and what God is doing and then quit what you're doing and just join him with what he's doing. See, this isn't just about chapel and the rock becoming one and coming together. This is about chapel and the rock coming together with the one and what he's doing. Like, like that, that's key. This isn't about Pastor Rusty having a dream or Pastor Bobby having a dream. This isn't about us coming together as a merge to try to make ourselves better. This is saying, no, no, God is building a kingdom. We recognize his kingdom. We're letting go of our tribes and joining the one and what he's trying to accomplish here in the Shoals.
See, God has a plan for the souls. He always has. When you read the history here, there's prophetic word after prophetic word. There's moves of God that started and then were stalled out by men. There, there's, there's God has a special plan or purpose for the souls. I can't explain it. I, I can't give you details. I just know that there's something spiritual here in the souls that God is trying to release, but the enemy and man are standing in the way preventing God from letting it rain through. And I know that through spiritual battles and spiritual warfare, that it is a lot of strongholds. A lot of strongholds. And it's more than one church can attack on their own. When you do the history, there's been man of God after man of God who's been through moral failure or failures or sick or been attacked spiritually. I, talk to, I text probably 50 pastors every Sunday morning. I text Doug Ferris, who's the pastor at Unwood Baptist, He's become a great friend of mine through this past two years. He's on the board of our Souls Dream Center. I text him, and he's gone through hell in a handbasket since he's been here. And I text him, and he said, I literally just went into surgery last night for gallbladder. And he said, this week has been one after another. I can point out to you pastor after pastor after pastor who's went against hell by themselves to see God moving the souls. And so it's more than you can what? Shake a stick at. It's literally more than you can shake a stick at. We can talk about sp demonic spirits. We can talk about racism. We can talk about poverty. We can talk about traditionalism. We can talk about denominationalism. We can talk about Jezebel spirits. We can talk about Absalom spirits. We can talk about spirits all day, but I'm telling you, it's more than you can shake a stick at. And I think that's what God was preparing the kingdom for in the scripture, saying, this is more than you can do by yourself, Judah. This is more than you can do by yourself, Joseph. This is a kingdom battle, not a tribal warfare. And when the kingdom comes together, there is nothing in hell that can stop God's kingdom. There's nothing that can prevent God's kingdom. Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against us, but he can prevail against a tribe. And that's what we've learned, is that he can prevail against a tribe all day long, but he cannot prevail against the kingdom. And that's what this is about, the kingdom of of God advancing and moving forward. And there's four promises God gives us in this scripture. Number one is this. I believe God is bringing us together to prepare for us a regathering of God's people. Let me say regathering. regathering. I don't know if you know this or not, but since COVID, there's a lot of people that haven't regathered yet. There's also a lot of people that are prodigal sons and daughters. Maybe they grew up in church. Maybe they loved Jesus. They hit college. They hit young adult years. They turned away and stepped away from the church. There's, there's tons of prodigals. And the scripture says there'll be a regathering, verse 20 through 22. When the sticks on which you write are in your hand before their eyes, then say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations or from the world which they have gone, meaning they've gone into the world, and will, will gather them all around and bring them back. There's a regathering. There are people right now in your family. There's friends, people you've grown up with, they're wandering around in the world like sheep without a shepherd. They go through the same ups and downs as the world goes through. And God is calling them home. 
but he can't call them home until he has a place that he can trust. That they'll be shepherded, they'll be loved, they'll be accepted, they'll be taken care of. Jesus said this in Luke 4 real quick. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news of the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Everybody say the year of the Lord's favor. That is a reference to the year of Jubilee. Real quick. Year of Jubilee, every seven years was a year of Jubilee. On the 49th year, which is the seventh year of Jubilee, it was a year where all, all the slaves were released to go back home. If they were in debt, their debt was forgiven. Everything that accumulated for those years was released. And so the year of, of Jubilee, this kind of year, was a year where all these slaves at one moment in time were being released from captivity to go back home. And so the scripture, this year of the favor is referencing that meeting. He's saying, when I come, when I proclaim, when I preach, when I'm lifted up, there'll be a year of favor in which all these prodigals start coming back home. So we're not talking about church where all of a sudden, you know, one prodigal comes. One person gets saved. One person gets baptized. He is referencing a whole city of prodigals being released from captivity and running back home to their father. And the father is there waiting just like the prodigal, but not one son, not one daughter, tons and tons of prodigals who've been left behind with the world has deceived them in thinking they're in freedom, but they're actually in bondage or running home because they remember, they remember those seeds of the gospel. They were spoken into their lives as kids. They remember mama and daddy's prayers. They remember grandmother's prayers. And they come running home. Number two is God is bringing us together. So we can be a place where he will heal his people of their brokenness, their spiritual wounds, and their spiritual apathy. Verse 23 says, They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols or their detestable things or any of their transgressions, but I will save them from all their backslidings. The reason many people don't serve God is not because God's not good. It's because the church isn't good. <laughs> like, I can't tell you, I was an atheist, so I, I know this. I had so many people preach to me, and I promise you, none of those messages were love, grace, or mercy. They were either turn or burn or uphold this or uphold that. Even though I knew all the law, I knew what was right and wrong, I just didn't know who God was. And so many people have been beaten and battered and betrayed and humiliated and taken advantage of in church that it's our fault, not God's. So we have to clean house to restore ourselves so then God can restore those that are hurt. Church hurt is real. Like I'm telling you, as a pastor, church hurt is real. And if we did a raise of hands, everyone in this room probably could say, I've been hurt in church. So it's not a matter of you being hurt in church. It's a matter if we're going to look at, to God to be our healer or not. And to be a place where healing can rain down. Where people feel comfortable coming in, not caring where they've been from, to come and find healing. And one of the things that stood out to me with Pastor Brian, every time you ask him, why did God bring you back to the shoals? It was the father of the orphan spirit. Heal the wounded spirit and release the Holy Spirit. 
And this area needs that more than anything. In a day and age where there's no spiritual fathers left, people need to be fathered. In a day and age where people are wounded by the world or by family or by friends or by church, they need people to to bind up, like the Good Samaritan, to bind up their wounds and help them get whole before we start trying to change everything else about them. And we need people who release the Holy Spirit. For that's where freedom... God did not die, send Jesus to die to give us a Bible. He sent Jesus to die to open up the heavens to release his spirit into the world. And we need a release of his spirit. But number three, God is bringing us together so we can see a movement of spirit-filled discipleship and multiplication. Verse 26, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them and set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. If you've been around chapel for two weeks, you know we talk about discipleship, 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 discipleship. Because the Great Commission is not get people to raise their hands. It is to make disciples and teach them to obey. Like in the Bible, we're so quick to get people to raise their hand and sign a card. We're detrimenting their journey. We're here to help them conform and look more like Jesus. And what he says in the Scripture, there'll be a multiplication that takes place. But what happens is many times in, in certain denominations, discipleship becomes more of a head knowledge instead of a spiritual transformation. It takes the Spirit of God to make a disciple of Jesus. And what it also takes, it takes people. That programs, buildings, preaching does not make disciples. People make disciples. Billy Robertson, who, who serves in our parking lot, one of our leaders here at the church, he's opening up, I'm going to give you a shout out, Midtown Butcher, Midtown with an E, Butcher, and Seven Points. He's opening up, and so he's been doing this dry-aged steak, and I got off my fast. He said, as soon as you get in with your fast, I got something for you. And I picked up this dry-aged ribeye. And Toy said, that's nasty. It's got fungus on it. I said, that's the good stuff. <laughs> so I cook it, and I'm like, this is amazing. Like, it's incredible how tender, how it just, I can't even, I'm about to go eat right now, how good it was. <laughs> but I asked him, I said, What's, what does dry-aging do? And he said, it's kind of like with wine where grape juice has flavors, but when you ferment wine, it brings out different flavors out of the grapes. He says, same age with meat. As you dry age it, it brings out different flavors. It makes it more tender. And he said, but the problem is you need dry aged steak to make dry aged steak. He said, so there was none around here. So he said, I had to drive to Birmingham. I got this big piece of dry aged ribeye. I cut a piece off. He said, you have a certain cooler. You have to keep it a certain temperature, a certain humidity, or the certain environment. And he says, you have to keep the air flowing with a fan or the wind of God, kind of with fresh wind as we talked about a minute ago. He said, you have to take some of the dry-aged ribeye and you have to literally rub it all over the inside of this cooler. Rub it over the rails, the shelves, the walls. You rub it over everything. Then you leave that piece in there. Then you can take a new piece, a fresh piece, put it in. Then it can dry-age over a certain amount of time. It's the same thing with discipleship. You can't disciple a new believer with a new believer. It takes a dry-aged believer or a little fungus. Oh, shoot. And so we live in in church world and a whole generation where we elevate youthfulness rather than dry-aged. And it takes believers that have been matured 
tenderized, different flavors than a younger believer to make new disciples. In chapel, we've been making disciples. And one of the things that, that has happened is we need another generation, an older generation that has been dry-aged in the things of the Spirit. We've done great at reaching people far away from God with the gospel. But now is a season of, of going into the Spirit, helping the Holy Spirit now make believers and disciples that look more like Jesus. Number four, God is bringing us together. So you can have a people in the shoals who are marked by his presence. Verse 27, 28, he says this, My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I'm the Lord who sanctifies Israel when, when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. He says, people will know you're my kingdom not by your political beliefs, not by your morals, not by your rules, not by your brand, not by your vision, not by your, your core values, but by my presence. And God will dwell wherever he is welcomed. He will dwell wherever he's welcomed and wherever people consecrate themselves or separate themselves in the world to give God a place to dwell. And God wants to have a people that are marked, marked by his presence more than anything else. In Exodus chapter 33, with these scriptures, life scriptures, and he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Moses said, I'd rather stay in the wilderness with your presence than to go into the promised land without it. He said, I'd rather wander around the wilderness with your presence than to walk in the promises, the favor, the prosperity without you. For how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct or marked, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? It is the presence of God that distinguishes us from everybody else. It is not because you wear a Christian t-shirt. It is not because you vote a certain way in an election. It is not because you post certain things on your social media. It is the presence of God that distinguishes us from everybody else. You're either in Christ or out of Christ. You're either filled with the Spirit or you're empty. It is the presence of God that makes the difference. And God is looking for people that say yes. In chapel, if there is one thing, we, we've talked about this as a team, if there's one thing we desperately pray for more than anything else. It's for the presence of God to saturate every single thing we do. That we're more known by his presence than anything else. And my prayer is as God begins to bring these two sticks together, the presence of God begins to fall. It become known as a people that God is with them. We become known as a people that people distinguish us by the presence of God more than the church name. That God shows his favor to us through his presence. And that a distinct sound begins to be released from this area like it happened before to show God's favor 
not just upon this church, but upon this region. That God wants to pour his spirit out. But he's looking for people to say, start with us. That is my prayer. Because it is more that we can shake a stick at. It is more than we can do by ourselves. And to be honest, if God was going to move through chapel, if he was going to move through the Rock Shoals, he probably would have already done it by now. But he's wanting to move through something new. He's wanting a new wineskin. He's wanting a new place. He wants a kingdom instead of a tribe. And that is our prayer.